When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wanted a career in which everything would matter, so I joined the CIA, and now I help protect our families, our friends, and every fellow American. Find out how everything you do in your career can impact our nation. Visit CIA.gov slash careers to learn more and apply. All right, what's up, what's up? Wes Mitchell here, Chris Clark, Friday free-for-all edition of GC Live. Pro- Sorry for the late start there. Um, was uh, taking an important phone call and um, had to take care of that first, but we are here and we are live. He is Chris Clark. I am Wes Mitchell. want to thank Affordable Medical and those fine folks for being the primary sponsor here of our show. You can find them at Affordable Medical. USA.com. They are home of the game day chair, 803-926-1493. Again, AffordableMedicalUSA.com, 803-926-1493. Chris will tell you a little bit about the game day chair later on, and we'll tell you about our friends uh, with the the Soxy Socks at uh, DeadSoxy.com. So, uh, Chris, dude, it's been a weird, you know what, day. I always want to have, like, a structure or a name or like a good title for each show. I was trying to think of the title for today's show. And all I could think about was the the first thing that popped in my head when I logged on to Twitter today. Although I went with the more family friendly version of it. And the title of today's show is what the heck is going on? Because dude, the fan, you got the, the fan base <laughs> fighting. You got former players arguing on Twitter. You got former players arguing with fans on Twitter. Dude, what the heck is going on? It's a wild time, man. I, I, I'm with you with exactly what you said on Twitter earlier. Unity, unifier. We need somebody that can do that right now. It's, look, man, we talked about this during the season, right? About the locker room and like how the defense is playing all these different things. A lot of it traces back to things aren't going well, you know, um, like how it's, it's easier. You see those things more and they come to the surface more when people are frustrated because of losing. Um, you guys, Wes, did you read the article on FSU? I think we talked about that. That even yeah. while they were winning, right. There were some cracks and they were just good enough in terms of talent to overcome it. And so South Carolina wasn't. So things have cracked. Things have fractured. Use that word a bunch. That's the new word of the week or word of the past two weeks, whatever it may be. And, you know, now we're seeing some of the fallout from that because with the way that things ended, some players opted out. A lot of people have opinions on the program. Social media makes it very, very easy to interact with each other. Things are getting passed around and people are sniping at each other. So, I'm with you. What is going on? It's been a, it's been a wild day for sure. Um, even I, I've been sort of keeping up with a little bit of it, even though we both had our 
heads down trying to write, trying to work the phones on the coaching search. But I've definitely fielded some uh, some inquiries about all this as well that's going on on social media. Yeah, and I, I've I've had a former player or two already reach out to me, and everybody sort of has an opinion on what's going on right now. And and I don't know who the answer is as far as because because there's there's not going to be any one choice, Chris. That just everybody we've seen it. We've done polls. Um, you don't even need a poll. You can see just from reactions on our message boards, other message boards, the chat right here on our show. What's up to everybody? By the way, I see our our main folks already in. I hope y'all are having a good Friday. It is free for all Friday. Any questions you have about you know football, about the game, or about coaching search, go ahead, throw them in there. We'll we'll keep this one very interactive today sort of lets you steer the conversation but yeah man everybody has an opinion on who the coach should be the thing about social media is every most everyone's going to share their opinion on who the coach should be i think not not to sound like what we've all heard as far as from politics the last year or so but um the best guy for this job along with multiple other qualities that are a requirement. I'm not saying it's just this, man. But who can convince the, for lack of a better way to say it, who can convince the other side to, um, you know, to, to come together and, and say, uh, let's all pull in, in one direction. And who can take the sort of current crop of, of former players, Muschamp folks, bring them in, reel them in, keep the talented players on the current team from wanting to, to leave while at the same time connecting with your Spurrier year guys. It, it seemed like, dude, not – and I don't want to paint a broad brush because that's not fair either. But there seems to sort of be a, a, a divide kind of between the, the Spurrier guys right now um, and even before that, some of the Holtz guys – and uh, and some of the the most recent former Muschamp guys. So who who can take all this and in their first days on the job be that leader who can sort of find that common ground to to bring everybody together. And I, and I think it's it's not going to be just some rah rah speech. I, I think it's going to be by actually forming relationships and communication directly with the right people and trying to sort of build build this community this family back up the right way yeah i mean that that's going to be that's going to be huge and you know will muschamp did some things um with getting some former players back you know to come back you know they had the alumni flag football game french for instance but when you talk to former guys, and, and I'm not putting this on Muschamp or anybody else, there's a desire for the university to do more for, for a lot of guys. And so having somebody that can marry that idea, because not everybody's going to want to come back. I mean, that's just the way it is, you know, but trying to marry that line of thinking with the newer school way, okay, because that is reality, you know. The, the the current generation, the 2020 football players, this generation, they do think a little bit differently 
than, you know, 1990s. And so you got to account for that as well. But who can who can sort of bring all those people together, like you said, Wes, to find some common ground? And to even where if guys are making decisions that the other people don't agree with, can you, can you find a way to unify them to where if there's some differences, maybe they're just talking about it behind closed doors <laughs> as, as opposed to this type of thing, you know? And so I think that's what, it seems like everybody would want that, right? Even, even guys who say, you know, Hey, I, I, you know, made a business decision to come to South Carolina. I'm making a business decision to leave. And that's that that's fine. That That's their right too. But can you, can you create a situation in which there is more togetherness for lack of a better term on all that? Yeah. And, and we'll see. Um, we'll see what that looks like. We'll see if that's possible right now. I think Chris, what you are seeing is something we alluded to maybe not to this extent, but sometimes it's hard to see. It's hard to look into the future, obviously, and see what the ramifications are for ripping the Band-Aid off, which is what I think South Carolina did when it fired Muschamp on on Sunday. There was no lead-in. There was no, hey, this is probably going to be it at the end of the year internally. There was no – I mean, Muschamp, if I remember correctly, even finished out his final final game – I think at Florida, mm-hmm. after he was fired as coach, there was sort of a little bit of a an ease into into that. This was a complete, just drop the hammer, it's over. Now, the thing about ripping a Band-Aid off is that, again, like we've said earlier this week, it's in some cases it will get worse before it gets better. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing – Raw emotions from from current players. We're seeing probably some emotions from recent players, like you know Javon Kinlaw, who does look at Muschamp, I think, as like a almost a father figure potentially. Certainly, somebody that was important in his life. I, I don't want to necessarily put words in Kinlaw's mouth, but somebody that he credits for coming up with the plan for him, you know, to get him out to JUCO and get him back from JUCO, and you know he's he's in the NFL now. So there, there are emotional things going on right now, and emotions lead to words being said um, that maybe down the road that those things can be patched up. But you're you're going to have this. You're going to have guys like we said that transfer at the end of the year. You're going to have decommitments. South Carolina just had their first decommitment since Muschamp was uh, let go. Uh, Radarius Thomas from Mississippi, actually, Chris. One of the guys in this class that I think South Carolina probably would have really wanted to hang on to, to be honest. I, I think they see him as one of their more underrated guys in, in this class. So it, it, for a place that needs receivers, that, that's a pretty big loss. But if you're going to make a change, you sort of have to accept that even it's going to fall apart even more. Now the question is who can come in and start putting the pieces together again? Yeah, and one thing that – for some reason, I had not thought about this angle as much. You know, you think about some of the guys that, you know, like Ken Law, um, or even guys on this current roster, a J.C. Horn or an Izzy, or some of the other players that have spoken out in support of Muschamp, or just, you know, let it let it be known how they feel about him after he was let go. 
Um, but you got to think about there's a freshman class that's pretty good, right? Like some guys that are going to be good players in that class. Where you're talking about the Jordan Birch and Alex Huntley and Eric Shaw, Jaheim Bell, Luke Doty, Marshawn Lloyd, a bunch of guys in that class. And South Carolina signed that class despite going four and eight, um, despite all, you know, a lot of the public comments that went around, the hot seat talk. And a lot of them had big questions about that, tough questions um, to, you know, both Will Muschamp, to Ray Tanner, to the administration during the recruiting process. And they were reassured, you know, that things were going to be okay. Um, And then they weren't, you know, ultimately. So one thing you've got to consider is you have to consider that during the process is, okay, are you going to lose some guys because of that? Are they going to feel like, well, I mean, we were told this and now it's not like that. You know, it's a little bit different than just losing a coach for some other reason. Now, will that play in? I, I do not know. I couldn't tell you. Probably depends on who comes in here. Can they get things stabilized? Can they, you know, we don't know. There, there's so many questions there. But that does make it, you do have to remember that when a lot of these guys committed, um, whether or not people agree with it, whatever they say, a lot of these guys did commit, and a big part of it was the coaching staff. And so the new coach's job will be to come in, stabilize that, instill a, a new culture or a different type of culture, whatever their vision is for the program, and to be able to get those guys to sort of, I mean, I don't have a good word for it, re-buy in. That's definitely not a word. But just to buy in once again, you know, to South Carolina and to being here. Yeah, some some good stuff in, in the chat and – you know, that there is a difference, as Chad says, between maybe kids today and, and kids seven, ten, whatever years ago. Yeah. Um, Rodney, with, I think, a valid point, too. It's okay to show your love and support for Muschamp without bashing the university or the fan base. Are there, are there fans that give all the other fans a bad name at every single – I won't even say every single school, every single group. It doesn't matter what, you know, is it a fan base? Is it um, fans of a particular, you know, musical band or artist or whatever? Is it, um, shoot, there might be people living in your neighborhood that give everybody else in the neighborhood a a bad name. You know, like no matter what group you pick, there's going to be a section, a small section of people that maybe can give the rest of people a bad name. But I do think there is some danger in trying to uh, sort of call out the entire fan base and 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 just bash them. You know, I, I don't I don't know that that's I mean that that's somebody's right to do. Yeah, but I don't know if it is the right thing to do. Um, so it, it is it is a it is again a raw situation. I think that I believe is right now driven by emotions as opposed to um, the true facts or truth uh, of the situation. So uh, that's kind of where I am on that. But it is – it's a weird day on Twitter right now, man. And um, I hope – and it's been been a weird year on Twitter. (laughs) I don't don't know if – I don't know if social media culture has created this. Or if it's like revealed this, like it's just given, it's given a platform 
for for all this. I, I don't I don't know that answer, but that's probably a much deeper uh, conversation than what we're gonna have on our Gamecock football show. Let's so, get a psychologist in one day well, as a guest, and we'll break that down. Yeah, well, we we could get um we could get Camry on. I mean, he's a uh, he's a football coach slash philosopher. Uh, psychologist, yeah, philosopher. So yeah. he, um, I'm sure, if he wasn't getting ready for another state championship game tonight, that he would have uh, have some thoughts on on all of this. But uh, okay, so the game tomorrow had at least one question, maybe more, on the chat. For what I was told, Chris, um, I tweeted this, I don't know, an hour or two ago. Missouri was about to get on their flight, um, about to board their plane, about to head from that Columbia to this Columbia. So with the caveat of it being 2020, the uh, you know anything could happen. But it, other than something just stupid and crazy happening, South Carolina will be playing Missouri Saturday night. And I think the the vibe I sort of got, you know, we had Gabe DeArmond on yesterday, Chris. Bobo talked about it during the call-in show yesterday. I think both sides were just committed to playing a football game. And, you know, I, my understanding is 53 is like the limit. But if you want to play and you have enough of every position group, you can choose to go ahead and play. Missouri came in right at the limit waiting on their test to, you know, to come back. But it, it sounded to me like both sides are just like, whatever happens, let's, let's go play football. Yeah. It's like, we got 22 players. Let's go. Yeah. We'll, we'll dress out some, some trainers and who and coaches, whoever else. Yeah. I mean, Missouri, we've heard of a couple teams and I think Missouri might be one of them where, you know, you've got the 53 person minimum in terms of scholarship players, but they're almost being given, you know, unofficial wink wink like waivers on that like it's just it doesn't really matter like if you've got 53 guys period or maybe even if you have less than 53 guys uh just come on and and play your game because there's an appetite to get these in and and, you know some schools have had a school like missouri south carolina has been able to get all their games in which is fantastic well the results have not been but but fantastic they can actually play the games you know which has been a question since you know the spring of this year in, in some form or fashion missouri's had what one postponed one canceled was something like that mm-hmm. and so um to you know they want to play and both these teams do my understanding the two programs have kept in really really you know strong communication to make sure that everybody's good and all signs point to them playing tomorrow night yeah, and, and what that game will actually look like, Chris, <laughs> who knows? Bo- both sides, again, obviously are, are going to be short at some positions, but it, it, it offers an opportunity too. I mean, it, Bo- Bobo sort of confirmed some of the things we had already been talking about, some things we have said, is that once guys have, have sort of opted out or moved on or quit or lift or left or whatever whatever words people want to use for it, you short, you sort of take the guys that are still there, and you say, let, let, "Let's go do this thing." We're not worried about anything else anymore. And I, I think that's from what Bobo has said and from what we've heard that that's been the message. Connor Shaw speaking to the team this week, you know, talking about the fact that it, it's about the you know the name on your front, not the back of your jersey, and um, try you know sort of trying to rally the troops. I, I've got a feeling we're probably going to see a team. That, that plays really hard 
on, on Saturday. Now, whether it's going to not be sloppy, you know, and what it'll actually look like, I don't think I, I know fans want to see, you know, if there's any changes with, with all the other change. Chris, I can't envision much of any scheme type changes in this game moving forward. It, it's sort of going to be what you have. I think now, could you call plays a little bit differently? A- absolutely, if it's already part of what you do, could you maybe get Luke Doty a full drive at some point, just in really in the name of of the future, you know, future development? Obviously, could you maybe be a little more aggressive on defense if that's what Bobo wanted? That that's a possibility. But wholesale changes, one, there's really not a a bunch of guys that are just even available to to sort of switch in there, but. With everything else being changed, it's hard to change an entire scheme, you know, in, in one week. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And offensively, you know, hasn't been perfect. Oh, by no means. I mean, goodness, we could we could do a whole show just about the offense. And, but the defense has been the one that I think people have more questions about. Well, what is the personnel going to look like with three opt-outs of starters or, or guys that at least have started in some games, uh, including obviously J.C. Horn, which is the biggest one. Um, and then, you know, will they do anything different schematically? But, you know, they're they're down. They've been without Brad Johnson and Aaron Sterling for a little while. Both those guys done for the season. Um, obviously, they're still very thin at linebacker. Now they're painfully thin in the secondary again. Um, and we're going to see some new guys. We're going to be seeing a lot of Johnny Dixon and Cam Smith. And we're going to see Jalen Dickerson and Jalen Foster back there. And, of course, Jamie Robinson. The two Jalens. <laughs> the two Jalens. And so, uh, I mean – yeah, may, maybe they're more aggressive. Maybe they change that up. Maybe Mike Bobo looks at it and says, guys, we, we got to do something different. We just we don't have a good sense of that, you know, right now. Um, but it would not be a huge surprise. I think Mike Bobo is going to look at it from a perspective of he's making this his team. We know that he's changed some things. Um, the offensive approach is, is probably not going to change because he runs that anyway. So it's going to – we saw against Ole Miss, for instance – they played more I formation than they have all year. Um, Adam Prentice played, I think, by a pretty good margin, the most snaps he's played all year because they said, Ole Miss absolutely can't stop us running the ball. We're going to line up. We're going to run the ball. Everybody knows it. They still can't stop it. Defensively, you don't see as many answers or, or different things that they can do. But, hey, who knows? Maybe they're more aggressive. Maybe the guys play hard. Maybe some good stuff happens for them. It's still going to be a concern. I think with some of the guys that Missouri does have that can that can play. Yeah, so I think you look uh, injury report like somebody just said in the chat. Um, it, it seemed like they were hinting that it was going this direction with Kevion Mullins, but they confirm it. He's out for the year. I I mean, obviously it's it's bad for the team, but I I hate it for that kid, man, because he was really actually starting to sort of come on and. He has the big injury and now is out for the year. Brad Johnson, you'd already reported, you know, out for the year. They confirmed that this week. Um, Aaron Sterling is out. Um, Sherrod Green, I I don't know what the official timetable that they've given has been, but um, he's still out this week. I mean, I hate to speculate on injuries, but that one has lingered out. You know, if he's not there this week, there's only two games left. So that could be potentially season ending just by the fact that the season is almost over. So, so some guys that, that will obviously be out this week and, and we'll see. I'm, I'm interested to watch a Cam Smith though, watch a, a Johnny Dixon. Johnny's been playing a lot more anyway, but there'll be, 
there'll be more attention on those guys and, and they're going to be sort of, you're getting a glimpse at the future of the future with those guys. If it's me though, I'd probably maybe even roll a Mokaba in there. If, if I feel comfortable with some of the things that you're doing just to maybe introduce him a little bit more, maybe introduce some of the freshman receivers a little bit more. Uh, we saw Jaheim Bell. I, I think it's one play. We don't want to overanalyze one play, but that, that play by Jaheim to me sort of was just a, a one play flash of what I think you and I believe Jaheim can, can sort of bring to a passing game from that tight end position. Yeah. I mean, high upside guy. And I, I was sitting here wondering after, even after that catch that Jaheim made, I was sitting there wondering, all right, Eric Shaw's played special teams. That was sort of his running mate in that class. And, you know, we know he's played some buck and I'm sitting there wondering, all right, is Eric Shaw going to move back to offense at some point, whoever the new coach is, because if so, that'd be, a nice duo, you know, at that tight end position, um, especially with Jaheim, a guy that can sort of flex out. But I think he played he played several snaps. You know, he, he got in the most sustained action that he's had, obviously, and uh, a nice catch, and he, he did show what he could do. Now, again, Ole Miss, you know, they're, they're obviously bad. Um, but, you know, to see him out there and, and getting in was good. It seemed like he was excited. His teammates were excited. And with Jaheim, a lot of people have asked about him all year. I think the biggest thing for him was just you got to remember how much time he missed preseason. You know, he missed a lot of preseason camp. He missed a lot of the OTA stuff before camp as he continued rehabbing. So, um, he, But he's a high upside guy, and I think it's someone that's really going to be counted on in the future here. And Yeah, probably one of the more popular freshmen on the team, I think, as far as just from the fan base asking about him and wanting to know um, – you know where is he at? Just because of his his playmaking ability that that he showed in in high school, you know his junior and senior year. So we'll be curious to see if we we get to see more and more of him these final three games. Uh, so we've, we've got our buyer sell, Chris. I, I don't know if we want to completely ruin it, but I I don't I don't know how many people are reading about the game right now. Anyway, if we're just being completely honest, so we can talk about it, dude. Um, buyer sell brought to you by. Your good friends and our good friends at uh, Bishop Real Estate, Terry Bishop and that group, former Gamecock quarterback, they do an outstanding job, and they sponsor that feature every single week. So we'll give them a little love on here as well. But, uh, dude, so so this week, Kevin Harris, who I think no matter how much time in this show we spend talking about how awesome Kevin Harris is, <laughs> we still probably haven't used enough time. Um, he, he is – South Carolina's best football player, if you look at what he's done this year, in my opinion. And he came in at a position that was a question mark after Marshawn Lloyd got hurt. So we can't say enough good things about Kevin Harris, the way he carries himself, obviously the production on the field as well, the work ethic. Dude is awesome, and he should be a household SEC name going through this offseason into next offseason. But your buy or sell question for this week was, do you buy or sell that Kevin Harris will get to a 1,000 yards for the season tomorrow? Which would be, if Chris's math is correct, which is about a 50-50 proposition. At best. (laughs) At best. 183 yards tomorrow. Um Chad asked, was Harris really not offered a scholarship? Um, he, he was offered a scholarship. I, I thought that was 
some sometimes the announcers sort of national announcers get things wrong or weird. They they were almost making fun of the fact that South South Carolina initially did not offer Kevin Harris during the game on Saturday. And I'm like, well, they did eventually offer him, which is more than you can say for the other SEC schools. So say what you want about the recruiting and evaluations and development, whatever you want about this staff, free game. But talking about their recruitment of Kevin Harris is not on the table for something you can bash because it was handled perfectly. So 183 on Saturday, Chris, do you do you want to do you want to give away if you bought or sold? Yeah, I I sold. I mean, that's a that's a high bar to clear. I know I think Kevin was he has 817 right as of I think 700 of those are against Ole Miss. Um but but um I don't see a repeat of that. I mean, 183 yards, man, that's that's a that's a big number, right? And so I think he'll I'm going to give him a good chance to go over 100, and I think he will hit that 1,000-yard mark this season, um, which isn't exactly maybe going out on a limb. He would have to – I'm not even going to attempt the math, man, for the next three games of what he would have to do. But I think he gets there just – that's a little high. That's a little rich just for one game, I think. Yeah, it's steep. I mean, the, the only other game he's gotten to that number was against Ole Miss, which – I. I, I know, dude. So I, I checked. I checked PFF grades, and and there. Co- the thing. The funny thing is, coaches. Apparently, you know, we've sort of learned over the years. Coaches do pay some attention to PFF grades. It's not a complete crapshoot or whatever. And um, there is a place for it. I don't always agree with the grades. I do think it's an interesting way to look at things, and I, I like their advanced statistics more than anything. We use their snap counts, which I know makes life way easier on you on uh, on Sunday and Monday after a game. And I like them for like seeing how many times was a guy targeted, how many catches out of those targets, how many times was this DB targeted. But PFF does not have Ole Miss grade-wise as the worst defense in the conference, and they do not have Ole Miss as the worst run defense grade-wise. In the conference after but, after the game Saturday, correct after the game Saturday, they do not have PFF hmm. as last in either one of those. So M- Missouri's run defense is ninth in the SEC according to PFF. Their overall defense is graded twelfth in the SEC PFF. Well, Ole Miss is thirteenth in overall defense. I think Vandy was last, if I remember correctly and 12th in run defense. Chris, that's the worst run defense I've ever seen in my entire life of watching college football. Charleston Southern? Well, I mean, the worst SEC. Okay, yes. Worst oh, yeah. Power yeah. five. Like, Group of five, FBA, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so who, who's below Ole Miss in run defense? You said they were 12th. Yeah, let yeah, me yeah. Um, let me let me pull that back I have up. A theory, because like does, PFF when they grade, I don't know exactly on run defense what they take into account. So like if it's this, y'all are gonna laugh at this. 
probably. If it's like missed tackles and stuff, is it because they just literally didn't touch Kevin Harris most of the time? Like he was just running, <laughs> he just ran past them. And so they were like, I don't, I don't even know how to grade that. Like he just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Will Helms can tell us what the, what all goes into, into this stuff. But, yeah. but dude, okay. I'll, okay. So run, no, re- regular defense, defensive grades. Missouri is 12th. Mississippi is 13th. I may have already said it, but you know who 14th is? Is it South Carolina? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. It's Vanderbilt. Okay. Which, oh, okay. frankly, man, Van, I mean, Van, Vandy, to me, Vandy looked like a team on defense. Don't get me wrong. Not good. But that was also married to an offense that's one of the worst offenses on the planet as well. Yeah. So it, it, it sort of skews things against you a little bit. Um now, granted, I haven't watched many Vandy games other than the South Carolina game. So, let's go. Run defense. Wow. Okay. Mississippi is 12th. Do you want to guess the other two? Run defense. Vandy? Yeah, Vandy is Vandy is last. Yeah, I thought you were doing run defense last time, and I guess South Carolina. No, that was overall. Okay. Um... I got nothing. No, I don't know. Well, it would have been a hard one because it's not even a team South Carolina plays, and it's a team that's overachieved. Um, Arkansas is 13th on run defense grade. Now, the intriguing thing about this thing is that almost nobody in the league (laughs) has a good run defense grade. Georgia does. A&M does. We saw that firsthand. Alabama does. And Kentucky does. And believe it or not, South Carolina is right at average. 61. is I think 60 is sort of PFF's like average grade or so. Florida is under that. LSU is under that. Mississippi State, Missouri, Auburn, Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas, Vandy. So lots of bad run defenses grade-wise. Or maybe lots of good run offenses. I don't know. They, I'm sure they sort of tie hand-in-hand in this conference. But if we want to apply this to Kevin Harris and Bobo said, you know, this, this team is, I can't remember the word he used. He's like, this team is dedicated to getting Kevin Harris to a thousand yards. They want that for this kid. Well, you got, you probably got to get a good chunk of it tomorrow because even though Kentucky is three and four, they actually have one of the better run defenses in the conference, and then Georgia has the best run defense in the conference. So he's going to need a chunk. He he probably gets there, but he's going to need a, a good chunk, I, I think, tomorrow. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Georgia, one of the fastest, most talented defenses, forget the conference, in the country. You know, they, they can cause you a lot of issues. Um, you would think that they're really going to load up to try to stop the run, which, in fairness, a lot of teams have done in South Carolina, with the exception of the A&M game, has been able to run it successfully, sometimes extremely successfully. Um, but Georgia's going to be a really – that's going to be a difficult challenge. And then Kentucky, you're right, has has some guys as well. They Kentucky has really scuffled on offense. That's been their biggest issue this year defensively. 
they've still turned in some really good performances. And so I'm with you. He needs to get a large, large chunk, well over 100 yards, in my opinion, if they're going to get to that 1,000 mark. And hopefully he can get there for Kevin. I mean, he's done an outstanding job. Yeah, if if there's somebody for the offense to rally around, I think it's Kevin Harris. You can tell, man, they love this kid. They love this dude as a teammate. Doesn't say a whole lot off the field, at least in his media interactions, but obviously his own on-the-field play sort of speaks for itself. Um, so, Chris, lot, lots of Beamer buzz, and we, we keep getting this question. Um, it's come up in the chat every single day, and I've kind of ignored it for the most part. And obviously we've posted a lot on, on our message board, posted a lot on the coaching search. I like to think we've had a lot of good info. Hopefully our subscribers do as well. If you want to be a subscriber, you can get on there right now. Code SEARCH25. That code's going away soon, very, very soon. So um, that code's going away sooner than we even want it to go away, I think. So get on there for $25 for your first year. I promise you won't regret it. So, Chris, not that we are stumping for anyone or that we've picked a favorite coach or or anything like that, but I keep seeing – so some people sort of get the Beamer idea, and some people are saying, I, I, I don't get it. Why would you hire a guy that's never called plays on offense or defense? And um, so let, let's dive into that with our Friday show. And then I'll talk a little bit about sort of the, the case for, for Napier. That's the two guys everybody talks about the most. But yeah. ba- based on what we've gathered – and a lot of this people have already read on, on our message board, uh, the Insider Forum. But what would be the case for a Shane Beamer and sort of what his plan would be for, for a job like South Carolina? Yeah, so there have been a lot of successful coaches that have been promoted into their jobs. Um, or there, there are some examples of some guys that have gone back to a school after they already had been there as an assistant, they went and got, you know, and then their first head coaching job was at that program. There are a couple notable examples just off the top of my head. Neil Brown, Scott Satterfield. Neil was at Troy, went and did some other stuff, eventually went back. First head coaching job was at Troy, did a really good job. Scott Satterfield, same thing at App State, right? Now he's at Louisville, and now Neil Brown is at West Virginia. Um, and then, and then a lot of guys that were promoted into their jobs. Now it could just be, there's probably examples to the contrary, right? But there's a school of thought that having some familiarity with some unique situations, which South Carolina is a unique situation. It's a unique school. It is not a logo school. They've had some patches of success, but it's not an easy, it's not a place that's as as easy to recruit to say a Georgia, Florida, you know, name brand programs. And so Beamer was at South Carolina from 07 to 10. And he was part of that sort of building process, right? Um, his last year at South Carolina, only SEC East appearance for South Carolina helped sort or only SEC East title for South Carolina sort of helped set the table for some of the stuff that was happening in recruiting at that time, recruited Alshon Jeffrey and uh, Devin Taylor and AJ can, you know, some of the guys like that. So um, a lot of people bring up for understandable reasons, the risk of hiring a guy that has never been a head coach. It's understandable. Anybody's a risk at almost any job. 
I mean, like you can think you can, there's so many examples of guys who have been head coaches and they've been really good at one place and you plan them somewhere else. And for whatever reason, it doesn't work. Now, does it give you a better shot? If he, like, if there was a guy that had won, like a Steve Spurrier that had won at two or three different schools, has a national title on his resume, and you could plan him at South Carolina, are your chances going to be better to win than the the alternative? Probably so. But is that guy out there? Would he definitely work? You know, these are questions. And so with Beamer, he's had a sort of a unique path. Um, he's He has worked for his dad at, at when Frank Beamer was at Virginia Tech. But a lot of his career path, when you just look at it on the surface, seems to be sort of training and gearing up to be a head coach. And my understanding, Wes, from what we've heard just from behind the scenes, is that there have been some OC opportunities, there have been some head coach opportunities, whether there were offers or whether there were interviews at some smaller schools, not SEC schools, um, I don't think, to go be, you know, a coordinator or a head coach. But Beamer has been pretty picky with his opportunities, been in the college football playoff the past three years, Oklahoma twice, Georgia once. And it's just a different type of guy when it comes to how he wants to structure his career. A lot of coaches are ladder climbers or resume box checkers, guys that want to get a title. Um, and that's has not been as much as MO. So obviously South Carolina is his dream job. We know that his sort of model would be to hire a really good OC, um, to hire a really good DC, try to build a staff that could recruit at South Carolina. And he would, you know, obviously be very involved in, in everything but uh, would let the coordinators run their shows and would recruit and try to build sort of a culture, you know, at South Carolina. So that, that would be the model. And obviously he's had a lot of former players that have come forth for him behind the scenes, even publicly. And, um, you know, it is certainly in the mix. And so that, that has been, that sort of has been the appeal from what we've been told about Shane Beamer in this process. And, And I think Chris, to add to that, there, there's pro, there are pros and cons to sort of the CEO coach style. Sure. Um, you know, the, the con would be if you have a great coordinator, you're always, um, you're always in danger of losing him to, to the next big job. You know, as far as um, maybe that OC gets the next head coaching job, that, that's going to be a danger anytime you go that route. The, the positive to it, though, is that, the role of the year 2020, 2021 head football coach is a bigger undertaking than it's probably ever been for a head football coach. You are, you're expected to do, you're expected to be a football coach. You're expected, even if you're one of these X's and O's guys, you're expected to be a CEO. You're in charge essentially of PR, you know, now you have a PR person, you have a media relations person, you have all these people working for you. Don't get me wrong, but you have to, you have to generate, um, financial donations. You have to be able to connect to your fan base. You have to be able to connect with your players. You have to handle more media responsibilities than you ever, than coaches ever have before. And then you have to sort of be a, a GM as well, as far as, monitoring and I would say managing your roster. Now you have somebody, you know, you have a recruiting guy that that's in charge of that, but ultimately the buck stops Mm -hmm. with you. So it's such a big undertaking that the argument for someone like that, being able to turn 
the offense and the defense over to a guy on both sides and letting them go do it is it does give you a little bit more of a freedom and time commitment to put your energy and time into recruiting, roster building, um, fan base interaction, media interaction, and the sort of greater good of the program type stuff without having to get so deep into the weeds of your offense and your defense on a week-to-week basis, I I think. Now, if I was making the decision, I would want to know what what is Shane Beamer or any other coach going with this mindset. Obviously, what's their plan? How how are you going to build this thing at South Carolina? How are you going to get players at South Carolina? Who are the specific coaches that you feel certain you can hire? But also, what is your philosophy on offense and on defense? You're going to hire a coach that has their own scheme, but who are what what are you looking for in those coaches? And what's your overall philosophy to game management? Because I think all those things right now are, are very important. So it's not so much necessarily exactly the X's and O's of the scheme. It's going to be more so for me, is this a forward-thinking coach who wants to hire guys that are well-versed in – modern day approaches to football to me on both offense and defense, Chris. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, th- there is so much, it's not just ball coach. I mean, that is not, that's not what a, what a college football coach is nowadays. It's probably a little bit more of everything else than it is football coach. You know, I mean, um, the, the most successful head coaches out there, when you look at their programs, it's, it's typically a lot of the development type stuff that they're doing. And also they happen to have really good players, you know, so that's, mm-hmm. that's a critical component. We talk a lot about scheme and X's and O's and, and guys that can develop in terms of on field. That's fantastic. That's much needed. That's something, that's a huge critical part of it, but the recruiting piece of it, who can recruit at South Carolina to South Carolina? That's a huge consideration because when this place has been good, that's how they've done it. You know, Steve Spurrier, there's one quick example. I'll let you talk about Billy Napier. Just a general point. So you remember South Carolina lost the pizza bowl, right? The frozen pizza bowl. The frozen pizza bowl. And there was some staff changeover and stuff like that. But, you know, within either the next year that or two years later, it might have even been next year, getting my timeline off, they're in Atlanta. What was the difference? They had better players. You know, they got Marcus Lattimore as a freshman. They had Alshon Jeffrey in 09. You know, like the pieces started coming together of some guys that they had been building and they'd been recruiting. It's not like Steve Spurrier's dramatically overhauled. I'm going to change my entire program. Spurrier mm-hmm. was still Spurrier. Some things did change for sure. But the common denominator, they had better players. So that's a huge consideration. Definitely. And, um, where, where do you get those players from? You know, I think that's that, that's something we probably maybe haven't talked about as, as much as we should have is that this state has not – this state has put out some really good players, but either A, South Carolina has not been able to quite land them, or um, really for the most part, Chris, there's just not been a, you know, a group all together – that's been like a Gilmore, Alshon, Lattimore, 
uh, Clowney. Now, now obviously, Pickens, really, really highly recruited guy, five-star guy. Jordan Birch, five-star guy. You know, South, and South Carolina did an outstanding job recruiting those guys and getting them, but there hasn't been, I would say, the depth of elite talent that we've seen from the state like we saw back when South Carolina was, was sort of in the midst of their run. Even, dude, I mean, if you look back, there there's even guys during that stretch that South Carolina was missing out on that ended up – I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is still – an absolute stud in the league right now. I know, you know, people don't want to hear about Clemson guys, but absolute stud. Um, a little bit before that stretch, but still in the Spurrier era, you know, and A.J. Green goes to Georgia. Um, you know, a Daquan Bowers was one of the top guys in the entire nation at the time. South, It wasn't like South Carolina completely cleaned up during the Spurrier era. Now, during that stretch, I think starting, you know, 09 or so, those recruiting classes, you know, you're, you're talking about getting some of these elite guys, and, and but having them back to back to back to back. The fact that you had Stefan one year, Lattimore the next, uh, Clowney the year after that, and um, you know Alshon in there in the mix as well. That that matters. So I, I think having South the University of South Carolina needs the state of South Carolina to be up um, in order to really succeed traditionally. Now some of that. Is is in evaluation, Chris. So find find those guys that are as that are really good, but maybe aren't quite as highly recruited. But then the other part of that is how are you going to fill the blanks if it is down? Um, do you recognize that fast enough? Do you go out and hit the transfer market, the transfer portal? Do you go JUCO? Do you go sign in place with maybe some guys who are good but in this state but don't have grades? What what are your answers? when the state is not up, I, I think is a major part of being successful at South Carolina. So let's talk Billy Napier a little bit. Young guy has, um, you know, has uh, his team right now, non-Power 5, but um, has Lafayette, or I guess, are, dude, are, so are they even Louisiana Lafayette anymore, or do they just go by Louisiana? Just I, That's but it. I feel like some people still call him Lafayette. I so, do a lot. It's just habit. You know, yeah, yeah. So, so Louisiana is where Billy Napier officially coaches. Um, he's had them obviously competing for championships. He's won there. He's put their program in a really good spot. They've they've won some actual national games. You know, they beat Iowa State, who has a, a guy and and Matt Campbell, who I think is one of the best young coaches in, in the country. And you know, you have South Carolina ties. Obviously, he was at Clemson. There's something much like we make the case that Beamer has been under some of the absolute best. He's been under Dabo Sweeney. He's been under Nick Saban. Now, I think it's worth pointing out there, Chris, he he has been under Saban, but he is not a Sabanite, in my opinion. He's not a Saban clone, Saban robot. And he sort of has put his own style. He's kept his personality w- with this. And right. – you know, th- this is somebody who is a, a an outstanding recruiter. He was credited for being a great recruiter at, at Clemson. That's sort of continued. I know you and I talk. We don't really put a whole lot of stock in how well somebody recruits at Alabama because everybody recruits well there. You can you can develop a great resume of, oh, you signed this guy, this guy, this guy at Alabama. Um, you and I could probably go 
Now, we wouldn't be able to coach them up at all, but we could probably go sign a few four-stars at, at Alabama. But right. sign guys at Clemson before Clemson was doing what they're doing right now is probably the sort of hot up-and-coming name right now nationally as far as a non, you know, non-Power you 5 guy who's ready to take the step up. As, has always been very interested in this job. I think would bring some excitement. I think would bring, I think it would bring some national attention as as sort of the next young up and coming guy, and um and is offensive oriented, detail oriented, and and also w- would have a plan. So, and, and probably has familiarity. Is he is quite familiar with the inner workings of this job? Maybe as a beamer, probably is, probably not. But it still wouldn't be just some guy taking the job you know he he's he went to he played at Furman he coached at Clemson he understands the state and he would have connections to the state and I think Chris he would I think he would hire a great staff as well I I don't think it'd be like he just hire some staff of nobody so there there is a strong case I think to be made for for either one of these guys it's just what approach do you want to take which guy is a better fit which guy, if you're making the decision, do you feel more comfortable? Now, for, for every for every guy that's made the jump, I can give you a list of, of people it's worked out for. I can give you a list of people it, it, it hasn't. Yep. So there is an there is a inherent risk with, with any of these hires. But I, I do think it's funny. We, we got a little bit of blowback, I would say, when like a Scott Satterfield's name popped up. There's a little bit of blowback. Because Scott Satterfield now has two years of of a resume at Louisville, one year that went well, one year that has not, in the middle of COVID with opt outs and taking over a terrible situation. But if you look back, if if all you saw was what Satterfield did at App State, and then you looked at Billy Napier's resume at his nine power five job, would would you say Napier? has done more, you know, than a Scott Satterfield did before he got to Louisville. Now that that's maybe a basic way of looking at it because personality and recruiting ties and um, there's all types of different things that factor into this. But I did think it was kind of funny that people are like, Whoa, Satterfield, he's only won two games this year. But if you go back and look at the comparable resumes, probably similar at, at that point in their career. So Point being, there's really no science to, to all of this. It's much more of an art, I think. Yeah, and I don't think – and that's what makes it so tough, you know, because you can make that comparison. You can say – you can give examples of coaches that have moved up a level or even just from one Power 5 job to, an X, to, to another one, and some of them have not done well at the second stop. Some of them have done better at the second stop. You know, and then there's all these different circumstances. What what are the schools? What are the fits? There's so many different things there. And so I think it is, like I said earlier, does it give you a better shot to have a proven head coach? Like if there was a guy there that had been coaching for 20 years, who has a, a sterling track record of winning, winning championships, recruiting at a bunch of different schools. Yeah, but is that guy out there? Probably not. And even then, it's not a guarantee. So I think you do look at fit you know, a lot with these things. It's very important. You know, it's it's not always as simple as let's look at these resumes on Wikipedia. This guy has won more. 
stick him here and he will win. It's not that simple. I understand the proven thing. There's, there's a big argument to be made for that, but you know, a lot of the coaches on this list, on the list of guys that we're sort of working through right now and that South Carolina's, you know, more importantly working through yeah. you, are they proven at some level? Like, do you consider Scott Satterfield proven? He definitely was proven at App State. He did a really good job at Louisville last year with what he inherited. Not go- So the jury's still out. The jury's out on Billy Napier, you know, moving up a level. The jury's out on Shane Beamer jumping into his first head coaching job. So it, it's just, it's a complex thing. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people, you know, when, and to use another painful Clemson example for Gamecock fans, I mean, Dabo Swinney, when he was planted there, you know, some people might say you got to get a proven head coach or a big hot name coordinator. But he worked at Clemson because, as it turns out, and there were some trouble signs early, but as it turned out, he was the best fit for that job. And so did they get lucky? Yeah, probably, <laughs> you know, probably to a degree. But you, it, it is just really – it's difficult. Hiring coaches is not an easy thing, and it's not as simple as just pointing out a guy's resume and planting a guy somewhere and saying that's it. No doubt. Um, man, Kyle Jackson, you are an hour late to class today, and you need to give us 10 push-ups for your your tardiness in, in this class. That is unacceptable. We have had a good, long show with lots of interaction from our fan base here, and you were not here, and we are highly disappointed in you. But you know what, Chris? We are not disappointed in our sock game today. Because we're rocking the Dead Soxy Socks, which you can do the same at DeadSoxy.com with the code COCKY. Uh, what do they get with that code, Chris? 30% off their order. And, you know, I'm wearing my Dead Soxy Socks today. Cold outside this morning, man. So I was rocking some socks. I had on these other socks that were a little bit thicker. But you know what happened? They slid down. They kept sliding off. They're like, nah, nah, nah. So I put on my Dead Soxy boardroom socks, the dress sock line. You can get those or the no-shows. They both have the patented non-slip technology. They're super comfortable, super soft. Make sure you check those guys out. If you're not watching, if you're just listening on the pod, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com, DeadSoxy.com. Check them out, and promo code is cocky for 30% off your entire order. Chris, I got to tell you, man, I think – and somebody asked, Butch on Facebook says, no freeze talk with three question marks. Um, by the way, I will have my hotboard 2.0 out. Whoa. Hopefully within the next couple of hours. But I got to say, boys and women on here, I think I'm out on Hugh Freeze. And I, I think South Carolina, I don't know, Chris, maybe you can fact check me. It seems like South Carolina may be close to being out as well, as in by their own doings. Not that they can't get him, but that they don't want to get him potentially. And if you were on Twitter today before the Gamecock Twitter blow up, you will, you would have seen that Hugh Freeze – was on there. And so so what happened is that a, I, w- I guess, prominent radio host in the upstate of South Carolina 
who has uh, fired up Gamecock Nation before with his Twitter takes, had a take on why Hugh Freeze was a was a bad hire, I believe, or why he wouldn't hire Hugh Freeze. So what happens? But does Hugh Freeze <laughs> sit around on Friday morning, probably chilling in his game day chair, Chris, like Mike Bobo, and you remember Hugh coached in that dental chair <laughs> at Liberty, and he's probably watching the show right now, saying this game day chair looks like. Because if you can, if you can search YouTube, I don't know if Hugh Freeze did you put a Hugh Freeze tag in the show today? Because he might see it, but he's probably like that game day chair is what I'm getting next time I have surgery and have to coach the game. Yeah. So, so guys, Hugh Freeze is sitting clearly. In his game day chair, asterisk, Q Freeze did not pay for this promotion and have anything to do with this promotion. <laughs> He's sitting in his game day chair, brought to you by Affordable Medical USA, searching himself on Twitter, and he sees that Mark Ryan in South Carolina doesn't think he's a great hire, and he responds to him on Twitter. Yeah. Dude. Did their game get canceled tomorrow? Do they not have a game tomorrow? Doesn't Liberty have a game tomorrow? I don't Hugh, know. Freeze, Hugh Freeze is going to come coach in the SEC in Columbia with Gamecock Twitter, with with, with our people, <laughs> and he's already responding to people on Twitter. Guys, that that's not going to work. Like it's not going to work. Obviously, Hugh Freeze can dial up ball plays with the best. His offense, I mean, he beat he beat Alabama twice with Ole Miss. Dude can coach, don't get me wrong. But I I'm not seeing it. If I if they hire him, you know, I'll eat my words. I don't see it happening. And guys, I I don't think I, I know, I mean, it's a tweet, but that that puts me out on Hugh. That's that's crazy, man. You're responding to people and you don't even have the, the job. Like what? Have we all lost our minds? Like that? You did. He didn't tag you. You searched your name, and I told you when you told me that. I mean, we heard from Ole Miss people that he searches his name on Twitter. So here's the evidence. Yeah. So, so Gamecock. He's gonna deal with Gamecock Twitter after loss number one. No, you got you got to be out on on Hugh Freeze. He's already blocking South Carolina fans on Twitter. Yeah, I that, heard that. So you're, <laughs> so you, but you're out. But you're out. That's what did it for you. The tweet. Yes. Okay. That put there wasn't any recruiting concern. <laughs> none of that is the tweet. That put me over the top, man. Okay. You can't, it, it was okay. Yeah, I got you. You can't be thin-skinned and be an SEC football coach. And we've we've heard that as well that he was thin-skinned about stuff. Here's the thing, man. If you're a football coach, people are going to disagree with what you do. That's just the game. Nobody's going to agree every time you go for it on fourth down, every time you kick a daggum field goal, as we, we found out around here. But I think everybody would agree every time they go for it on fourth down. <laughs> well, that, that's true. Until, until, you, until you don't convert don't three in a row. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah. You, dude, come on. you got the crowd that if you run the football and it gets stopped, why don't you throw it? Or if you throw the football and it gets picked off, well, why don't you run it? <laughs> I mean, that. But 
But, dude, you're getting paid millions of dollars to deal with that. So, but you can't handle Mark Ryan tweeting about you. And you're not even here. You're at liberty. You're not even in this state. I feel like that this. I could see this clip. Like we need to just grab this whole clip. And we'll just tweet it or something. And tag you and for tag using him. it. And tag no, we don't even have to. Well, let's see. We have to. Some Wes gives his take on Hugh Freeze, <laughs> and then he might have a comment. I'll get. I'll get, I'll get uh, blocked. I guess, <laughs> but y- y'all, y'all will see Hugh Freeze in the SEC one day at either Tennessee or Auburn, probably. More than likely. Yeah. Uh, do you agree with me, Chris, or, or do you not uh, agree with me? Well, look, I mean, look, dude, that didn't surprise me. I mean, I thought it was funny for sure, but, like, that didn't change my opinion on the situation. Um, I mean, you remember when he – you know, when everybody – when they signed that, that – uh, <laughs> Cooper – when he signed, when they signed that 2013 class, you remember everybody said, "Oh my god!" Like Robert Kimdiche, Larry Tunsil, all those guys are saying, "Oh my god!" You know, Ole Miss is cheating, whatever. And he went and he fired off the tweet about if anybody has any information, you know, send it to the NCAA or whatever. And so, like none of that, and then all the other stuff we heard. So none of this is a surprise. the The big issue with Freeze, aside from this, which to me, not to discount you, Wes. This is a little bit more down the pecking order for me, although I find it extremely funny. And I find it extremely funny how, ups, how, you know, not upset, riled up or whatever it is you are about it. But, like, the biggest thing for me is the recruiting angle. People say, well, what do you mean by that? Like, he recruited guys at Ole Miss. But you got to remember, NCAA stuff at Ole Miss, off-field stuff at Ole Miss, and that was the reason that he got let go. And – Coming to a place like South Carolina, where you're already at a disadvantage recruiting, you you would be the the word I've been using in my conversations with people is neutered. It it is, it, I mean, you are going to have a tough time on the recruiting trail. And remember, you're getting in the SEC with all these bloodthirsty head coaches, assistant coaches. It, it's a it's the wild west in here in the SEC. You don't think that stuff's going to come up? It's going to come up all the time, all the time. And so it makes it tough, and it makes it tougher here. So that's where I'm at with it. I think that recruiting, actually, number one reason for me why, in my opinion, there's a bigger concern. And I'm with you on – So not Twitter? Twitter lower. Twitter lower for me. Okay. It's more fun to say it's Twitter, though, if you ask me. And to complain about it, but dude, but th- it, it's a bad sign, man. It's a bad sign. Don't get me wrong. Now, would that would that dude fix an offense? Absolutely. Would that be fun to watch? Absolutely. Would it? Would the national media just go crazy over this hire? Yes. But it's kind of like if somebody dates, somebody starts dating a ten because she's super hot, and they don't care about the personality and then they start to realize after about three weeks of dating her that the personality's not there, that there's no connection and that it's not going to work out. But they like putting 
pictures of you know them with her on Instagram because she's hot and they want to show her off to their friends. Like it, it's it just is there's no meaningful long lasting relationship here. Is it cool for a little while? Did you put that up? Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, is it cool for a little while? Yes. Do your friends pat you on the back? Yes. Do do your other friends like Tennessee and Auburn get jealous for a couple of weeks? Probably so. But they don't see what's actually going on, not on the Instagram public stuff, but behind the scenes, where you quickly realize, how am I going to get out of this one, and how much money is it going to cost me? So... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my take on Hugh Freeze, and, and now now I have my actual girlfriend um, <laughs> weighing in on Facebook as well. So I think it's time for us to end this show. I, I think, yeah, I, I think you might you might just get yourself in some trouble at some point here. But I'd say put the the last fifteen or twenty minutes with your takes. Uh, in the Hall of Fame here, <laughs> the GC Live Hall of Fame. All right, we need to we need to go right. <laughs> yeah, let's we need to get out of here. Hey, it's Friday. Um, go to Market on Main to watch the game, please. They're a sponsor of ours, and I told them I was going to send everybody in Gamecock Nation to Market on Main to watch the games, and then the season just torpedoed. And nobody was excited about the second half of the season. So I'm telling you with 100% certainty, if you want a great game-watching experience and you're not going to the game on Saturday, go to my friends at Market on Main. They have a 23-foot massive LED outdoor screen that's amazing. It's in downtown Columbia. It's an awesome viewing deal. Please go check them out. And I promise that you won't regret it. So, Chris, you got anything else, man? Nah, man, I'm good. I can't. I can't overshadow anything that you said or did here. <laughs> I'm kind of nervous about getting off this show and see what my phone says. So, um, I hope everybody has a great weekend. It was a good Friday free for all. We should do this every Friday. For Chris, I'm Wes. Look forward to seeing y'all on Monday, and y'all have a great weekend. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today.